0: Good evening, and as Mister Noddy Holder just said, it is indeed Christmas. However, this is not Christmas. This is the Goals Allowed Football Show on Burn FM. My name is Jake Sandy, and I am joined as ever by the dynamic duo in front of me, Danny Hodges. Hello, Andrew Singh. It's me. I thought I'd uploaded the wrong sting on the system, so I ruined the surprise that we had a special Christmas <laughs> one. But <laughs> they haven't—they haven't actually heard that one before. So, what did you think of it?
1: It was—I—I I didn't expect it, so it was still a surprise. I thought like. Because he said he was the you thought you uploaded the wrong one. I was like, nah, it's just gonna be the normal one. And then you know, Mr. Noddyalls comes out. I laugh at the normal
2: thing, so that was just like an extra, an yeah. extra special one. It's an
0: extra bonus. I thought I would uh, make that a special one, and it will also be included on the podcast version, so this conversation will actually make sense. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember to put it on that one as well.
2: Little little uh, bonus um, sponsorship for you. Then.
0: So anyway, w- I thought we'd start this week as ever with the question of the week which was going to be a festive uh, themed pun one but I forgot to prepare for it and didn't know what I was going to say I did think parcel gross like a Christmas parcel but it's more sort of present it didn't really make sense so we are instead going to go with what's your favourite memory of a Christmas fixture so Jules
2: mine has to be, sorry Danny about two years ago the uh, I'm kind of ashamed of this but it was the first time I went to Anfield um, and we beat Swansea on Boxing Day 5-0 I,
1: think. I was going to say what well, you apologise if I was like I oh, do just go to Enfield? is that what you are i <laughs> <I'm> sorry
2: yeah <laughs> sorry you haven't been yeah love that game amazing game
1: you're welcome for the three points Danny Um mine would have been it would have been when Swansea beat Chelsea in the Carabao Cup semi-final at home with the infamous hazard kick in the ball boy I was at that game I was wild no one knew what was going on we just saw some ball, ball like on the floor rolling, and picking up the ball, like, what, what, what? I haven't done anything, and then and then everyone started booing, it was great, and then obviously Swans went to the final.
0: Yeah, I think I'd go with, it's not a favourite memory as such, because obviously it resulted in a Chelsea loss, and it wasn't Christmas, it was New Year's, but the game that always sticks in my mind was the Chelsea-Tottenham, it was 5-3 to Tottenham, oh, I remember watching it and it was such a mental game, because it was just literally end-to-end, and you never knew what was going to happen, I think. Obviously Chelsea lost, which was unfortunate, but as soon as you say Christmas football, that is the game that first comes to my mind. So after the question of the week, we always go into our Premier League review. We've got two game weeks, as we said, multiple times last week. So first we'll start with last Saturday, which as there was football in the week, uh, in the week it feels like an absolute age away, uh, age ago. So first we will have take a quick look at Newcastle versus Manchester City. Obviously, the game finished 2-2, so the spoils were shared evenly between the two teams. But based on the run of play, would you think that Newcastle were very fortunate to get out of this with a point?
2: No, I I think uh, it's definitely a testament to how well Newcastle played getting a draw. But watching 90 minutes of City pass the ball so poorly, for me, they didn't deserve to take the three points from that game.
1: Do you think, on the broader perspective, this has kind of seen Man City crack under the pressure? Because we've not seen this in the last few years under well under Pep. Where
0: I mean, I just like to plug that if you listen to our show from like two weeks ago, before they played Chelsea, yeah. I did say is perhaps perhaps starting to crack when he sort yeah. of exploded at the line at fourth official, so... because of, this yeah, if,
1: yeah this game should have been kind of um, an easy walk through. Like I know I know Newcastle have been quite a quite a bit of a surprise package. Everyone thought that uh, they would get relegated when Steve Rose took charge and everyone thought and everyone was like, Oh that's true and then they started beating the big teams and now they pull out a draw against arguably the, one of the best teams in Europe.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that I think of when I see the way that City played in this game with the sort of very impotent start of passing was uh, the twenty eighteen World Cup with Spain. Like yeah. when their manager left before the to- like the, the day before the tournament, they still have the sort of possession-based ideas, but they just weren't implementing any incisiveness in the final third. It was, very, it was very lacklustre, win it? And I think that that's what's maybe happened to sort of uh, Man City when it's not going well on the pitch. They sort of resort back to their main tactic, but when there's no incisiveness in the final third, especially given the amount of good players they've got, because obviously the goal that put them 2-1 up was a fantastic strike by De Bruyne, but it didn't come from any particularly uh, sparkling passage of play and I think largely it was very sort of blunted their strike force in this game specifically do you agree? I've, well they still scored
1: two goals but it was very much like what I think it, I agree with you in that, that maybe if they do score goals when it when it comes to games where you need to just get that extra one like when it's a 2-2 or you need that just one to push you across the line there's something about it they do, it is very reminiscent of the Spain 2018 World Cup team, where it just felt like you know, they were lacklustre. They were, they didn't have that decisive, that uh, potent finishing that was once feared by Spain. I think that's what we're kind of maybe seeing with Man City at the moment. Is that that once feared of, are they just going to score eight goals against us and there's not much we could do? do I think th- think teams don't can't aren't really uh, f- maybe aren't able to counter that now? they just they know that they if they play a certain way that they won't be able to. F- the, score the goals they want they normally do.
2: Do you think the constant fullback rotation is having any sort of impact there? Because, uh, like, thinking now, Walker and Mendy should be the first choice fullbacks. Because, if I'm correct, I'm thinking they're the most expensive fullbacks that City have paid money for. Is mm, that right? Um, yeah, Walker and then Mendy. Cancel is so a, a weird one, one because obviously they, they sent um, someone to. Uh, uh, d- Danilo. Yeah, they sent the other Danilo uh, the, the other way. But. From from what I've I've seen of, of Man City forums, which I um sometimes scroll through, um, they're they're not they're not enjoying um
1: have it, having Mendy at left back. Is he because he was a very big personality and he's very like kind of present on social media and stuff. And do you think that's going to start biting back soon? That they they will get a lot of kickback from fans when the performances on because it was all fine, it was all uh, you know sunshine and daisies when they went in, But do you think when they start losing that they'll turn on them like the way United have turned on a lot of their own players.
0: Yeah, I think the players that are more visible on social media definitely are a subject of ire when results don't go the right way. Obviously, the biggest person you point to is Jesse Lingard. Obviously, you see him get lambasted by United fans on not playing well, given his well-renowned exploits on social media. And I don't think that Mendy has been particularly bad this season. I think he's obviously still an incredibly good player I think they may be paid over the odds for him considering how well he played at Monaco for that one season and obviously his injury record definitely hasn't helped him establish himself in that team and I think the fullback rotation definitely is a thing because when you look at their main rivals of Liverpool they're, they're incredibly consistent with Robertson and uh, Trent obviously and they are sort of the focal point of the team whereas I think Manchester City's focal point is slightly further forward with people like Sterling yeah, makes sense. Like
1: yeah, Sterling, De Bruyne, uh, kind of they're all that midfield slash strike striker uh, kind of it, is that that's where they focus their attack. Whereas like they, Liverpool works so well is because they got that stability, that stability at the fullback position. Um, obviously, we don't know what will happen when one of the fullbacks go. God forbid, gets injured or sort of gets sent off. Uh, I don't know how they'd react, but because the, they got that stability of you know when they're both going to be playing they both know how to play. And I that guess is that's what City don't have at the back because you have Jintenko who's kind of, I swear, I think he was a midfielder converted to left-back. But then he's like, he, obviously he's not a bad left-back, but then all the last season he pretty much he was playing because Mendy was always injured. And then you've got Mendy's back in now, but then Jintenko will sometimes probably play. And then you've got Walker, but you've got Yao Cancelo. It's like, there's no stability. And I, if, you're def- if I'm in the back four and I'm a centre-back, I'd probably prefer to have someone who's more stable at, like you, you know who you're going to play with at the back especially in your to your right or to your left depending on what position in centre back you're playing
0: I think with a system that is as well defined as Guardiola's is I think consistency is a massive thing with that but there's definitely a uh, sort of sense in these big games to focus on the big teams so I feel like we should turn a bit of attention to Newcastle so Jules do you think what you saw from this match gives you more confidence that they will stay up this season or do you think it was maybe just they raised their game for a big team
2: I think so. I mean, p- people forget this sometimes, but Newcastle are a a big club in the sense that you know, it's it's, it's football is such an important, integral part of that city's community. St James's Park holds what
1: fifty thousand, fifty thousand fans. Fifty five. I think it's like I think it is one of the biggest stadiums after maybe Antfield and Old Trafford, and
0: it's yeah, cert- it's certainly bigger than Stamford Bridge. That's about. 40, 45,000. I think it's now. It
2: must be the fifth biggest. Completely. I mean, this this is a, a fan base that is very, very passionate about football. Considering the the ownership and the controversy surrounding that, um, for me, they they play such an important part in um, helping their team win games. And of course, alongside that, they're going to turn up for the big
1: games. Well, we, me and uh, Jake were just talking before about like Newcastle and that. There's not many the North and the North don't really have many teams up there you've got like Sunderland Newcastle and Newcastle's the only team in Newcastle so in very ways it's like a pillar of the community so it's such a like, they're such a big club it, they're, they're more so than other teams because they are kind of so connected to like the Tyneside
0: yeah I think they're a massive part of as Jules said the sort of local area and the f- passion with which the uh, fans follow the team is definitely something that I think many clubs sort of aspire to have that sort of dedication amongst their supporters, but again, it's they've been playing reasonably well late, I think they're just above the relegation zone. So, I think their fans will be h- hoping that they can carry on the momentum through the busy Christmas period. But moving on to some more relegation-threatened teams, uh, there also at the weekend was Southampton versus Watford, which I think at the time was probably 18th versus 20th. Yeah,
1: actually. it was
0: bottom three game. Yes. Yeah, so based on the players that they have available, I was sort of looking at this quickly before, and Watford are doing incredibly badly compared to Southampton in terms of the players as well. Like you'd expect Watford to be doing better given the players that they're uh, well, at their disposal, I guess. So do you think that is sort of indicative of the problem at the club that it's not the players, it is the people higher up and making the decisions? Um, possibly. I
1: I'm not too short on the workings rounds of Watford um, uh, but well, yeah they're they,
0: John the former president
1: I think he is has some involvement in the club or did
0: I mean they're owned by the Pozzo family who own Udinese and yeah. they own a club in Spain as they, well
1: did they or do they still they did they did I they the have it. Granada
0: I th- yeah I think it was yeah. Granada yeah um, and they're sort of very well known for their sort of high managerial turnover which you obviously saw with Quique Sanchez Flores being sacked
1: after what like 80 something not even that like, it's it was not
0: a, yeah it was a very few uh, very few games I actually wrote on the running off the show about whether it was the most bizarre managerial appointment that has ever been made recently
2: <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> haven't even played Watford yet this season and yet they're two managers down already
0: I would, well Marcus
1: Silver's has just been sacked Hey, you know the there's no really
0: getting more managers. Out. I mean they they do a precedent for um, hiring back managers they've sacked yeah. in the past so I mean you that is definitely you you just linked him there yourself yeah. so I'm sure I'll, I'll send a tip to a tabloid paper and it'll yeah. be all the back phases tomorrow <laughs> so with uh, Sanchez Flores obviously leaving the club do you think that there is any way back from now or do you think there is so much turmoil at the club that they are in a sense doomed to relegation
1: I caught the Southampton Watford game I well I, I missed the first uh, a chunk of the first half and the goal that Watford got that was they were one nil up, but Southampton in the second half were just so better so much like Ralph Hasenhutl, uh is just he just had that team so much better in the second half and they just like I felt sorry for Kike Sanchez Flores because I felt like he came into a house on fire and <coughs> has tried been putting out with like a five hundred milliliter <laughs> water bottle. Like there's not there's not much he's had at his disposal he's, you he don't even have a transfer window to bring in players he's just had like a 500 million water bottle and some sand and then he's like, he's got to put a burning house it's a, it's the hardest job in the world and then you've got like Ralph Hasnutton who, he's got a well structured team, he's a really good man, highly rated manager, in my opinion, I'm a very big, big fan of him um, and he just had that team playing better, they always towards the more and more the second half went on, the more and more you were like, well Salampton's going to win this as soon as the Southampton set you were like, ah, this could go either way. And then it, the more and more went on, you were like, ooh, Southampton's getting a bit of foot in the game. And then it just felt like the more, by the by, the 80th minute, they got, this, they got level. You were like, well, Southampton are going to win this. They're going to get a goal.
0: So speaking about Southampton, they are currently 17th in the league. I believe they are one point outside the relegation zone. Their next three fixtures are Newcastle away, West Ham at home and Aston Villa away. And I was thinking, how many points do you think they realistically have to get from this sort of run of fairly easy fixtures against teams that are in and around them in order to pick up the momentum they need to stave off relegation this season?
1: Anywhere between five and nine. They need at least one win. Really, they shouldn't lose. I think they, against the, we'll talk about them later, but especially a poor West Ham. Uh, I mean... I could see them picking up three points just how poor I've seen West Ham play last night um, Newcastle
0: are a bit of a mixed bag I feel like they could win it lose it or draw I think tactically it certainly has the edge yeah. of Steve Bruce which is what I think may count in their favour that's that's what I'm
1: thinking but I just feel like Newcastle are such an unknown entity that they can win or draw games without having any possession of, ball, of the ball and it's just they're such an odd team this year they're the team I can't put my finger on where they are going to end up they'll either suddenly surprise as I finish mid-table but having a really good run of form get off starve off uh, um, relegation or can still get relegated I just can't tell and the last one was Aston Villa
0: yeah but that's that too fair I think it was harsh on me to put this in with those fixtures because it is at Villa Park which is obviously an incredibly yeah. intimidating place to go and Aston Villa are I think at least player for player better than both West Ham and Newcastle at the moment
1: true but I think Aston Villa are a bit Inconsistent, so I feel like there's a possibility that they could upset them. Um, I would, lo- I think they should get trying to get five points, or four if they're at minimum, but five if they really w- Like five is what you uh, five points from that will definitely give them a bit of an edge over the rest. Because if they're one point ahead of 18th, I believe. Oh uh, yeah, they are. So if like, eight Everton at eight, that essentially that could make it a six point gap, depending on how games go.
0: Jules, how many points do you think they sh- they need to get, and how many they will get from these? fixtures Oof,
1: to avoid
2: relegation it's tough to tell because obviously Aston Villa are in that Well, and, and Newcastle to an extent are in that bracket as well for relegation, uh, relegation contenders so I think I'd agree with Danny here I think they need five points but in reality I think they'll end up getting two two draws
0: well, and, and a loss and a loss yeah that is, a, is that a bold prediction no, I think the loss be,
2: being I, at Villa Park I think a little bit West Ham
0: I think Although I did watch the Chelsea-West uh, Ham game, I thought it was a bit of an anomaly, I think. Yeah. West Ham raised their game for that one, and I think, obviously, we'll come on to it in a second, the uh, West Ham game against uh, away at Wolves, where they were definitely back to the West Ham team we saw at the beginning stages of the Tottenham game, where they were utterly abject. So, moving on to, ironically enough, Tottenham, we were just discussing, they played Manchester United yesterday... Uh, yeah, it was yesterday, or Wednesday. Uh, it was 2-1 to the hosts, Manchester United, which was a result that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. I certainly didn't, know. And I think one of the main reasons for that was seeing how much Man United raised their game against higher quality opposition, because I saw most of their game against Sheffield United and they were really not good. Like There was just... No intensity in the performance whatsoever, and it like, seems so flat.
1: Like Phil Jones was so so poor at the back against uh, Sheffield United.
0: But watching them yesterday against uh, Tottenham, they definitely count was starting to prove, and it was like especially in the first half, the, the energy levels were like nothing I'd seen from this team before. So, do you think that they do have a problem sort of raising their game for sort of lower opposition?
1: Um, yeah, I think for some reason. The lower opposition teams just can easily unpick United, or there's something about the way they play against lower teams that they just can't. I say lower teams, are teams that obviously uh, bottom half, or uh, it just they just can't. See, or teams that shouldn't be really beating them, they just seem to not be able to turn up against them. It's a really odd thing. And but when it comes to the big team, like big games, they
0: suddenly can.
1: Like against City, it was one all. they was just very. It's like they or Liverpool is one or
0: was, yeah, drew against Liverpool, beat Chelsea four 0 on the opening day.
1: It's just really odd. Like, I can't I feel like this has kept Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job for another for like, two weeks now. It's, it's it's old it's old Trafford
2: in in the big games. I mean, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a big atmosphere. I mean I think the biggest problem for United this season has been in the like you said, the 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 mid table to bottom half teams yeah.
1: away from home. How much do you think Jose Mourinho played a factor in? Because I
0: imagine that a load of the players or, and even the fans really wanted to just stick it to him. I thought the reception he got at Old Trafford was actually slightly strange because watching it, you saw him come out on the pitch and you saw the United fans and some of them were clapping him, which I thought was... It was... I, I mean, I didn't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. For I me, was expecting boos. For me, For
2: me, it wasn't that strange. It's one of those situations where when he was sacked, people thought that he was the primary problem to United's concerns but now now I think almost a year later many United fans have grown to appreciate that Jose Mourinho
1: did do a good job with what he was given that second place finish in hindsight it was much better like he Insane. shouldn't have got
0: that yeah I think the main thing from that perspective that maybe saved Jose Mourinho was the fact that even when he wasn't the job a lot of uh, fans displeasure with the club is aimed at Edward Woodward, and I think he is fundamentally the sort of linchpin in the system that has sort of enabled what has happened since Alex Ferguson left to go on and not done anything to maybe stop it so perhaps that is what saved Jojen Rooney from getting a frosty reception at Old Trafford
1: the only player I really think who's really improved under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is Rashford Rashford yeah he's got two goals one a penalty and one
0: from open play and I mean but is it because he's been moved into a more central position where uh, Mourinho was playing him more out wide
1: yeah I think it's a very simple tactical change that everyone's screaming out for and just he's done it and also maybe Solskjaer is a very obviously famous striker for United kind of he's got a very soft soft spot in the United fans heart uh, in his day was a top quality striker so I don't know how much that has affected maybe he's just given some few hints being like this is what I did when I was when I was in playing and all that so that probably helped I imagine a little bit having a strike, having a manager who was at his day a brilliant striker but yeah I think he just made a simple tactical change of actually just doing what, ev- what he wanted. To, he, everyone knew Bradshaw was better but it just put him in the centre
0: So taking a look at the um, uh, away team in this match Tottenham did you catch this game? the uh, the the Man United game, yeah. bits of it because
2: uh, obviously the Liverpool game was was all right. Yeah,
0: ramping. I was thinking as I was watching it, I did notice Harry Kane specifically was incredibly quiet. Do you think uh, it was just an off game for him, or do you think Solskjaer's tactics worked well to sort of nullify the threat he posed?
2: I think uh, Harry Kane is one of those strikers where he 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 can end up doing nothing for large portions of the game, and then. You know, w- once once he receives the right service, then he can make something happen. But I think um, in in the Mourinho system, I think thus far from what I've seen, it's been other players that have been the focal points. And I will come on to this later on in my in my fantasy segment.
0: Well, that's a that's a pretty big incentive to carry on listening if you <laughs> haven't, or if you were considering turning off. Don't know why you would anyway. So just finally on this game and from a Tottenham perspective, this is the first loss under Jose Mourinho however he has carried on their uh, sort of record of keeping very few clean sheets, I think they've kept one clean sheet this entire season and we're now 16 games in, so where do you think Mourinho sort of has to go with this defence in order to sort of sort them out and get them to a position where they can perhaps start racking up more clean sheets? New defenders. Yeah,
1: he's going to need to sign some in January Um, just either use Vuitton or and in Maybe both of them in a trade deal for some either really top quality striker or use them separately just to get no, not no striker a defender, or just use them separately to bring in two different defenders or because that I just that's why I feel like they need to do it. If they maybe get rid of one, keep one, it's just they need some new blood in the back. They need some new kind of just some fresh people, fresh faces, someone that can just that's top quality. Like I doubt they would ever be able to go for Kublai Unless
0: they like, I think tra- his buyout is like eighty-nine yeah. million. I think Daniel Levy If you told Daniel Levy that, he'd probably have some kind of. Have a stroke would have stroke Yeah, I think one of the main things that I sort of thought while watching the game was obviously Davison Sanchez was signing Davison Sanchez was signed a couple of seasons ago from Ajax, and there was a lot of sort of uh, praise around him. People sort of thinking he was a very exciting player, and I does he maybe not necessarily lived up to that height? I think he had before his injury. He was really good.
1: Um, he was all... I think he was keeping... Was it Alvira out the team? But, I don't know. I'm not really heard from, from much from much from him when he came back. Um, I think he's still quality. I think I, many people who come through an Ajax system is like that stamp of approval that you get on like... I don't know, just... You get on like when people make a product so like, that is top quality because Ajax is just so good at... Like, they produced Matias Delict not that long after Sanchez got sold. Um... But I do feel like he has been... But then the whole team has been kind of yeah I suppose in poor form. So I'm kind of a bit like, is this just him being really poor or is it the whole team as a collective just not being that good? So
0: yeah, I think it is certainly something to be considered in the context of the season they've been having. There haven't been any real standout performance from that defensive unit. So singling him out for criticism is perhaps slightly unfair. But I think someone who it wouldn't be unfair to single out for criticism would be... The, uh, actually, maybe there's kicking a man when he's down. I mean, he's just been sacked. It is Marco Silver. We're going to move on to the Merseyside derby. I feel a bit bad for Chris for going in with that intro because <laughs> that was a bit harsh. Um, I just wanted to quickly, before we get onto this, highlight a quote from me last week. where I said about the Merseyside derby: games are often these games are often very cagey and low scoring. Yep. So turns out <laughs> I'm bad at my job. I'm not very really good at this. That was a terrible prediction. We're looking for a new host. If anyone wants to apply, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. That's I'm, I'm going to meet uh, Mark. who's done the job, centre next week. <laughs> are we trying to find a new podcaster? Maybe just maybe switch jobs. You go to Everton, <laughs> and he'll come I and mean, take over. I don't he'll think do I could do a I, job. To be fair, I was gonna say, I don't think I could do a worse job. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know who's in charge. Farhad Mashiri, he's the chairman yeah, You'll just if, be untractable. So get all your goal. You, goal. If, if you're listening, sign me up. So anyway. Um, the first sort of note i got written down here is Everton won't get relegated. Right? So, do okay. you, do you, you, you don't see you don't say really anything they're actually going to go down, do you? I really don't know
1: anymore. I mean, this season's so odd. It's my just, head says one thing, my heart says another. Like, I feel like the amount of money they spend, if they bring in a decent manager or Sam Allardyce again, um, they they have the quality to stay up. So if they just get a manager who comes in and knows what they're doing, it's very cliche saying so say knows what he's doing, but if they just get a manager in who can just... Like it's not the ship is, isn't sinking. They can they can still like change direction. It's all, so it is very much they can. It is a fixable issue, and they've got the they've got the talent and they've got the money behind them as well to maybe bring in a few players in January. So I'm I want to say no, but
0: so I just add a bit of flavour to that yeah. answer and say they have already played the big Sam card, so that's off the table. Yeah, I want to make that. So does that make it a bit more iffy? <sighs> turn no, David know, Moyes. Yeah, he
1: brought saved West Ham from relegation last year. Yeah. He didn't save Sunderland though, or did he? he. No, nah, that's true. He did a terrible job there. <laughs> um, it is very, it's an odd one because I don't know. They're, they're such a staple of the Premier League that you just wouldn't think. If you were like, what teams will never get relegated from the Premier League, you'd be like, oh well, like Liverpool, Everton. I think Everton like, are actually like the
2: longest-serving team like in the top flight. Yeah, they haven't.
0: Arsenal. Yeah. yeah, and they their last relegation was in the 1950s. I think
1: maybe yeah
0: it's really long because the thing I was thinking about with this was I was going to say this the other day on the podcast but I didn't know how well um, I thought they'd pick up eventually because I was thinking that if it did start to go wrong for them I think that pressure would make it even worse I think if they end up adrift now it could become sort of an insurmountable mental barrier because I think the fans are going to be maybe start getting on the players' backs and sort of feed into a very negative situation.
1: True, I think it could be quite a toxic
0: atmosphere quite soon and obviously that never breeds success. Um, I mean, you've probably got experience with an incredibly good team going down with West Ham. Yeah. The West Ham team that went down with 44 points, I think Uh, it was. I think the highest team's ever been relegated with. Because that team was ostensibly, from a player's perspective, a pretty good team. I think Joe Cole was playing for you then.
1: Yeah, I think he came back. Like it was a quite decent team that probably, in hindsight, you look at is probably, no, I say it shouldn't get relegated. They got relegated, but it every other year they would have survived.
0: It's one of those like too good to go down things. Yeah. Like a, a team gets a false sense of security given the sort of good players they've got. So, well, we said at the beginning of the year
1: that Everton must be the hardest job to manage because you are not going to get relegated and you are not going to get into the Champions League, where they very well could get relegated this year. It obviously, still early doors, early days. I mean, um, it's. Like we're not even at the, at the new year yet. I feel like if we, if, if we, if we're at the end of January, begin of February, and they're still knocking about sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, then I, would, as an Everton fan, I would be really worried. Um, but they just need to get a good manager to come in who like, someone who's got a vision. Because I, I didn't know about Marco Silva getting the job. I was very much like he could be amazing. Like he could be, well, I don't know about amazing, but he could be pretty good, or he could be as what I suspected not that good and then uh, get sacked so there's I just don't know who they could bring in the biggest
2: problem for me for, for Everton watching them so far this season is just lack of a lack of a striker I mean they're not it's not <coughs> the Lukaku days anymore where they've they've just got someone that they can you know service the ball to and yeah. he will put it in the back like of the net
1: 20 goals in a season for me Calvert-Lewin
2: is, is, is not the one Moise Keane it's, it's, it's a bit of a strange one there because there are suggestions that he doesn't want to be there anymore.
1: It's really odd that they've signed him and then played Calvin Lewis. I don't. I know Calvin Lewis was kind of uh, touted as quite a big talent or he's, he had good potential but I don't know if if you could ever put him as a main striker I think at most he's going to be a second striker but that's not really the system that's in place nowadays. Alex
2: Iwobi isn't a goal-scoring winger. No, con- Everyone, knows I, I think
0: Richarlison is probably their best goal threat, and I think his inconsistency. Oh, he scored a great header mm-hmm. yesterday against yeah. Liverpool. He scored at the weekend as well. Sigurdsson's not been on it this season. No, I think Richarlison's sort of total Premier League sort of his uh, career so far. Obviously, at, uh, when he did with Watford, he had an incredible start to a season, and then just went completely off the boil. And I think people were hoping when he went to. Uh, Everton to link back up with uh, Marco Silva, he'd sort of reached the heights he had during the sort of early days of him at Watford. But I do he, did, think he did the same thing again; like he had a
2: really good start to the season. I think in the first few weeks he scored three or four goals. Then he got a red card and yeah. he was suspended. And then ever since then, it's just been a lot. Of he seems a very much
1: like a player who uh a co- a confidence player. Yeah, kind of like he will be on a, like a run of eight games and score four goals and assist a few, or assist one or two, and then. He could go the next eight games and not be involved in anything. It's, you don't, you don't know. Like he is very talented. I've like watching him play. You can see why he, a lot of people wanted to sign him when he came to the UK, when he came to England for for Watford. A lot, he, that's why he had such like a lot of people had eyes on him. Um, but I just don't think he's got that consistency. Consistency to be kind of someone like you said, who like especially if you're in a relegation scrap, you need someone who's consistent, could get goals, and put in and out, in and out performances every week. He just You don't know which chance going to turn up.
0: It's almost like that Stoke team that went down a few years ago where they had like Arnautovic, Shaqiri, Bo, Shaqiri Bojan. Like players that aren't particularly consistent, they're not the teams you want in sort a of relegation dogfight. But moving on from that game, we're going to have a quick look at the Wolves versus West Ham game in the final part of our Premier League review as one of our team members was actually at the game. So he'll be giving us the sort of... The view from the view from the the ground. How was the game, Danny? Oh, West Ham were terrible.
1: I mean, so but I only went to the game because basically a a mate of mine who's a very big West Ham fan, uh, his friend was meant to go with him, who they do they go to away fixtures in and about like this area of the country, fractured his wrist or his hand, and so late late notice had a messaged me about twenty minutes before he was meant to leave to the train station. Do you want to go to the game? I was like, yeah, why not? I've not been to the Malnew, and I'm, and more importantly, I haven't seen West Ham playing a while.
0: You were you in the West Ham end, then? Yeah.
1: All right. And <laughs> I've seen West Ham four or five times. Never seen them win. And this <laughs> this streak is still going on. Um, ever since I started, like six years old, against Preston when they lost, it's up till now they got decisively outplayed by two 0 was a nice scoreline. I mean, West Ham should have scored a goal, but it was just it just showed how good really Patricio is hours uh, they were trying to walk in a box and this time it worked Fornals got it whipped it top right and it should have gone in but any other goalkeeper would have got it but just Rio Patricio just got a hand to it but they were just so poor like nowadays you're so used to teams pressing up from the front or even just like they just they just when the defenders of when the Wolves defenders got the ball they just kind of the, the strikers of West Ham like uh, Snodgrass Ale and Philippe Anderson and when Jarmolenko came with Snodgrass they all kind of jogged about and they just gave the defence so much time and and Wolves is a team that in my in my opinion relies a lot on structure and a lot of uh kind of uh yeah just structure kind of like a player knows here like they obviously know they've got individual talents like Ruben Neves, Raul Jimenez and Diego or and yeah uh, ja- Martino. Martinho but they are a very structured team and what you sometimes need to do with that is get them disorganized and then attack and when West Ham seemed like they would have a good spell was when Wolves were a bit disorganized but then they took so slow they were so slow in the build up play that wolves just got back into position, and then they got the ball off.
0: Yeah, that's probably where like uh, there are parallels between like wolves and the big teams like Manchester City and Liverpool. Like the hallmark of their play is playing the ball quickly to wide players, to drag players out, to drag opposition players out of position, and sort of create disorder amongst the defence. Which is obviously very diff, which is obviously very important if a team is sitting back deep. Which is maybe why wolves have been better this season than last season. I think wolves were incredibly impressive against the big, uh, the top six teams where they could play counter-attacking football, but this season they seem to have found a way to beat the lesser teams as well.
1: Adamo it was, they just kept giving the ball to him because they knew, they were t- attacking Cresswell because he's such a big guy. I don't know if you've ever seen him. I saw him close up and he's massive. His arms are about the same size as my legs.
0: He, You're talking about right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I've yeah. seen <laughs> it he's huge and he's he's about like 5 at 10 just a pure muscle and he's really fast and you think someone like that is like right they're quick but they're not going to be that agile he's so agile he's so like he was just they just kept giving the ball to him because they knew that he was just going to beat Crestwell all the time allegedly the fastest player in the world I would not be surprised
0: I mean he was that good he's one of those players where the sort of narrator around him is if only he had some end product. If only he could yeah. actually
1: play football, he'd be... Yeah, it's always that thing like, oh, if he could score. But, I mean, he didn't score, uh, but it was Cotrone that scored the second one after he came off the bench, Patrick Cotroni from... Who they bought from England, very uh, highly rated, and I can see why, because he was quite good.
0: Actually, when I was playing a uh, football manager 2018, signed him for Wolves when they're in the championship, so I feel like the people behind Woodman watching my football manager say and yeah. taking some tips from me. <laughs> they were just
1: like, Oh, this Jake Sandys knows what he's doing. <laughs> it was it was very like they were just there were brief glimpses of what West Ham could be. But they just in today's game they just don't seem to press and I just don't know if you could do that. Like they weren't pressing that much. The like, the strikers weren't like deciding to try and chase them down or close the gaps in the back when they they had they were playing three five three, so essentially they were three at the back and it kinda of matched the three strikers. But that gave a man for man so the surely they should have kind of tried to attack them when they got because they were so they were just pass the ball and back they knew they had time so they should have tried to press a bit more when they figured that out just to you know kind of uh, spin them out a bit and just be able to like, make them change the game plan but they just didn't and there was stuff that <clears throat> times where you like pass the ball here or don't have a shot from outside the box because they kept trying to walk it in and then they just wouldn't have a shot and you're like you're in a perfect position just have a pop, a goal and hopefully see where it went in
0: yeah, it's definitely been a pretty poor start to the season from West Ham and I think Manuel Pellegrini's days are perhaps numbered given how I well love. they have been performing. So the
1: Wolves fans started chanting you and getting sacked in the morning and quite a lot of the West Ham fans started Just chanting. In. Yeah. Like, there were a few guys next to me who started chanting. There's quite a lot in the uh, the away end that were get getting get in on it.
0: I think it may be time for a change at the West Ham Stadium almost at Upton Park again. Keep forgetting. I have no idea what the stadium's called nowadays. I think is it's it Queen it, Elizabeth or was it? I thought Olympic it was just Stadium? the Olympic Stadium. I have Any, no idea. So, anyway. Uh, moving on to our Premier League preview, there's obviously only one game we can start with, it is the Manchester Derby. I was looking at this fixture and trying to think about what I was going to say when I was writing this running order last night, and I was thinking my head says Manchester City are obviously going to win because United are fairly awful and I don't think Solskjaer's tactically at the same no. in the same I mean if t- t- tactically they're worlds apart yeah. it, the, the disparity is unbelievable but given the way Manchester United played against Tottenham and have played against Liverpool and the, the Chelsea game is a bit hard to read into it's Frankfurt first game etc but is it too radical to think I actually think United might get a draw in this one if they sit back and defend resolutely
1: possibly that, that was what I was thinking as well I'm in two minds by am kind of like well on paper City should win um, decisively, um, but then United have had this weird trait of turning up to big games and doing not so bad. Um, but also at the same time, the fact the other factor is: are the City players cracking? Is Pep getting in his own head? Is his worst enemy himself? Is other players kind of not being able to cope with the pet pressure of not only being what like nine or eight points behind Liverpool, but also mm-hmm. being third and behind Leicester. Eleven
2: points, just to just eleven to so like,
1: it. and they're also behind. Leicester, mm-hmm. who are playing amazingly this year, so it's not only have they got to get past Leicester, which could be quite hard. They've also got to then trying then catch up to Liverpool. So I don't know whether many players have written the, this season off already in their heads, and we're just seeing that with the the uh, lackluster performances that we're from a uh, City team, which we expect to be world class. Um, I'm not so sure, but I'm I'm the same with you. I don't I don't know if I can see United win, but I could see them get a draw. I think I think if
2: the, the forward line of United is going to be absolutely pivotal here because <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when you think about the weaknesses of Man City this season undoubtedly you're going to say well obviously it's their defence their their backs have been brilliant defensively. Obviously, losing Laporte to injury and having to play Fernandinho at centre back hasn't helped. And considering the form that Rashford's been in, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him score against that Man City back line. Is I mean, I would. Martial I, still playing? I think he's injured, injured at the moment.
0: Ah. One caveat I would say to the Rashford thing. I mean, the two goals he scored against Tottenham. One was a penalty, and one the goal he scored at the near post. Gazaniga has to be better with that. I think he was caught off caught yeah. by a bounce. I mean if those I don't think he's been in necessarily as good form as the statistics would suggest I think he has still not been playing at the highest level despite the sort of numerical things you see in terms yeah. of goals but he'd certainly Manchester you know, United attack is certainly one that could definitely pose a threat considering like looking at the was it Wolves beats Manchester City this season yep. Yeah, Adama Traore was instrumental in that was a pacey winger when you look at Dan James they're sort of very sim- obviously not the same size physically but in terms, but the of, the speed and in terms of speed and pace
1: and also directness they just, they're, well, how, not directness is a word but just how direct they are to go
0: they definitely are because I think Daniel James is one of the best players in this team on current form because he is the only one who faces up and is willing to just run at defenders and I think that's going to intimidate especially because when you can, I don't know if Fernandinho will start as centre back, but one of the big things he does in midfield is break up play by yeah. just doing professional fouls here and there. But when you're playing centre back, you can't do that because you're so much closer to your goal, you're giving away free kicks. And closer, you get a red card as well. Exactly, and I think that's maybe one of the things that means Fernandinho isn't the ideal fit for uh, centre back. Maybe I also feel like, though you go
1: going laugh, but I think the closest comparison we could have to Daniel James is Ian Robin. Because he could just cut, he cuts into the right all the time. And he has that. I've seen him do it so many times. He did it for Wales against um, Hungary. Cut into the right, took a shot, and it went in to the far post. And he's done that so many times. I feel like it's so predictable that you just can't stop it. Um, and also, the reason I was asking if Martial was injured or not is because if you had Martial, Rashford, and James play up front, well, it's just beating them with pace. It's very simple. You just get the ball over the top, and you just have sell them three, who are all really fast, just run. Just just run with a ball at goal, have a shot, and then if not, like, or just give it off, because it's just a very simple task. But I feel like when you said Fernandinho, not as fast as he once was, they haven't got a, uh, definite full backs, like, and you've got three fast players running at you. I think
0: John Stones is definitely a bit suspect, because if, you, if you're playing directly, like running at him, I don't think he is the best one on one defender, for example. So looking at the game from a sort of Manchester City perspective, how how do you think they can set up their team and their tactics in order to build on, obviously learn from what happened at the weekend when they drew and try and be more incisive in the final third? Do you think they need to play a different uh, maybe players perhaps? I think the the
2: playing different players is going to be difficult without having Sergio Aguero. But I think Shezu's performed... Fa- fairly well against against Burnley midweek So scored a brilliant goal he did um,
1: I think missing Sane has been difficult for them um, I think also maybe my first thing was their defence is quite weak so I think stifle them in midfield because that's where you know his threat's going to come from is trying to get that ball from the defence from the midfield up to the front two or front three depending on what they're playing um so if, if City can somehow stifle the midfield and break up play there before it gets to the back, then they can easily win because then they can turn it around quickly and get it off to the, whoever
0: up front. Yeah, I think Man, uh United counter-attacking style when they play big teams is definitely possible to exploit. When they, when they do counter-attack, there's always space in behind them. And I think, uh, for example, uh, Ashley Young started against uh, Tottenham and I think he was probably a weak link in their team. You saw a couple of instances where Aurier got in behind him, because uh, I think people like Kane dro- dropped deeper and just sort of played the ball around him because he doesn't have the pace he once did. But moving on from this game, we will take a quick jump over to Jules' fantasy football corner.
2: Cool. OK, so looking at last week's predictions, it's a funny one because we're looking at two game weeks' worth of fixtures here since our last show where I made some predictions. So, We'll look at the players um, and consider both games. Uh, So one of my less good predictions has to be the one to watch being Christian Pulisic. Um, Jet, you may be able to tell me more here about how he's performed over the last two game weeks. But um, for me, I've not seen anything from him. And considering I uh, took out Mason Mount to bring him in and he scored yesterday, I, I might be living to regret that one very soon.
0: Yeah, uh, Chelsea's been a weird one, I've watched both their last two games, so the West Ham loss and yesterday's win over Aston Villa and they've been incredibly potent in the attacking third apart from putting the ball in the net and I think that's fundamentally where they sort of need to get back to, I think in the uh, earlier parts of the season they were putting away chances that they just haven't been putting away now, I think it's not a disastrous run of form and I think they'll definitely get back into it, so I'd say Pulisic is probably worth keeping your team f- just for a couple more games because I think when it does go right for him he will definitely be able to get back on the score sheet good to hear um, so my captain for the last two
2: games has been Jamie Vardy uh, who was on a amazing run at the moment I think it's seven in seven seven games that he's uh, it might be more actually I think he's on, re- he's on record a bit he's it's a ten, ten it's <laughs> ten and seven because he obviously got the hat-trick against Southampton. Yeah. So he's top scorer at the moment with fourteen goals in the Premier League, which is absolutely insane considering we haven't reached the halfway point yet. Um, and goodness knows what he could do if he if he carries on this form
0: well, until the he, end. Of yeah, the season. he's
1: four away from his own record of eleven goals in eleven consecutive games, which is mental from a striker who's playing non-league football till about twenty-five.
0: It is and not one of the two
2: Red Bulls before before yeah. each game.
0: It yeah. is really one of the most. Interesting stories of perhaps the decade, really, when you consider it on sort of in context, his rise from a non-league player to becoming arguably one of the best Premier League strikers yeah. is certainly one that will be told for a long time to come. Yeah, completely.
2: Considering his price as well at the start of the FPL season, uh, it was nine million. I managed to bag him when he was eight point nine. He's now gone up to £9.9 million, so oh. I've made a nice little...
0: It's, it's weird, because you always expect that at some point he's going to slow down, but he just never does. He just, he just has maybe, not so far. Maybe it's the Red Bull, who knows? <laughs> Probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, um, it, it, I, I
2: kind of wish I kept in Mane last night, but Variety scored. scored it, it might have been a penalty, but, but we'll ignore that. Um, and I put the get rid as Mohamed Salah, which broke my heart to put, but unfortunately there are other um, high profile assets that uh, have I been thought there. you were
1: going to take my tip on any West player.
2: <laughs> no this was from last week I'm just oh. reading last week <laughs> um, we'll get to that um, and Salah did not perform very well against Brighton and did not start the Merseyside derby so I am not regretting that at the moment so for this week I've put the one to watch as Deli Alley. he has been in amazing form since the introduction of Jose Mourinho uh, in playing that num- traditional number ten position, I think he's going to be giving loads of assists to Harry Kane. Uh, probably having a good um, partnership with with Son, and I, I look forward to seeing this reinvigorate Deli Alley for the rest of the season. Sorry,
0: I just have a live update: Brighton have just gone two-one up against Arsenal.
1: Oh, this is Neil so Morpay Maybe that's yeah. one to watch for, so, for the future. Sorry, anyway, carry on. <laughs> this gets so much better.
2: Live commentary with uh, goals allowed. Um, the captain for this week I may stick with Jamie Vardy he is my current captain but considering the form of Bournemouth Liverpool have them this weekend so it may switch to Sadio uh,
1: let's get your thoughts what do you guys think?
0: I think it's dangerous to think Vardy won't carry on scoring
1: yeah I feel like if you switch it to Sadio Mane, there's that's not a bad choice switching to but then at the same time you could easily regret because you, you for context to yeah. have Aston Miller away
0: that's a tricky one actually
1: but then I feel like well, Vardy will just ruin their defence he's just so fast
0: an interesting thing on Vardy you know his scoring uh, run started the weekend that his wife was uh, the Colleen Rooney stuff happened Ooh. he scored in every game after that happened which is that's I an don't interesting know stat.
2: conspiracy Bar- I think not Bar Arsenal <laughs> the only games he hasn't scored in this season have been against last season's top 7 so that includes wolves
0: did he score against chelsea i don't think did so score, he
2: did he did he no he didn't no that's that's my point he's not scored
1: it's a weird one because even when it, you you could say like man city's the next game and i'd still be like yeah Vardy could probably score
0: he's just got he's
2: got yeah, that that's i think that's man city's Next game
1: after after
0: United, he's got a weird, unnatural ability just to know exactly where he's got to be, and he just yeah. always pops up. And I think he's on penalties as well, so that definitely helps. Oh, it's in it's in two games time,
2: but yeah, I think in an interview with him, he said that Brendan Rodgers has told him, "Don't worry about like not touching the ball for a good 60-70 minutes. If
1: you you know stay up front, play your game, you will end up scoring goals." Which he ha- which he has been doing. It's reminiscent of old fashioned strikers. Look, you know, may not you may not touch the ball, but you will still score. And finally, my get rid, as suggested by Danny, is
2: any West Ham assets. So if you still have the likes of Philippe Anderson and Sebastian Haller,
1: I mean, Danny says get rid. Philippe Anderson, he's if if you really want to keep a West Ham player, keep Philippe Anderson. There's more chance of him doing something. But Haller was terrible. I mean, I
0: mean, he didn't even start against Chelsea. He had to come no, off the bench. It, it was
1: just, for a big guy, for a big guy. He was like six foot two, six foot three. He was just losing every header. I just mean like. I I would get rid of Aller. If you have Allah, get rid of I mean, him. I'm
0: pretty sure the only people who have Aller are the people who gave up on fantasy football five weeks yeah. and just, <laughs> their just team was just is just in the only. doldrums.
2: How many people still own Sebastian Haller? 2.7% of people
0: that play that, So 2.7% so have given up on fantasy football. Yeah. <laughs> So, I think that just about rounds up your fantasy football. It does indeed. Corner, So, just before we finish, I want to take a quick look at Norwich City versus Sheffield. As Danny did just point out to me, Newcastle are 2-0 up against Sheffield. They won 2-0. They won 2-0. Yeah. It's already over. That is quite a shocking result. So, do you think they'll be hoping they can bounce back in this game? As considering, they before this loss, they had had three consecutive draws. So, they dropped down to ninth, which, given the fact they were fifth at one point, is... Perhaps not what they'd... Obviously it's probably higher than they are expecting to be this, top of this season, but I definitely think the fans have started to hope that they would finish top half. Do you think this is the kind of game they've got to be willing to sort of cement that position?
1: Yeah, especially against a team who's bottom. I think you should... like they, This is a team where they should look at them and be like, we need them three points. Because they can easily get brought back into a relegation battle. They, they could, oh, we've seen it before where teams start well, and then they get brought down and down and down, and just slowly they fall down the league. So they need to pick three points up here. Obviously, they need to pick three points up anywhere. But this is a game where, if you're prioritising to win, this will be it.
0: Another thing I was just thinking when I was looking at this was that, in fact, last season, Norwich won the Championship and Sheffield United finished second. So, Jules, can you sort of pinpoint anywhere where their why their trajectories have differed in their return in their sort of, when they moved up to the Premier League?
2: I think when it's your first season in the Premier League, it's more important to have solid foundations at the back and like good defensive awareness, which is more Sheffield United's game, um, but that's just, that's just the tactics of Chris Wilder. But with Norwich, they play beautiful attacking football, which is lovely to look at most of the time, but a lot of the time isn't going to be enough to keep you up in the it's Premier League. It's not the
1: most rigid, are they? No. And also I feel like... I'm not saying there's a... I don't know if you believe if you believe in curses or not, but it seems to be that any team that wins the championship doesn't do that well compared to the teams that go up through playoffs or second place. I don't know why. I mean, last is...
0: season uh, Fulham went up in the playoffs; they got relegated. I think the other two stayed up, didn't they?
1: Um, I can't remember what year Swansea came up. I remember the year they went through the playoffs, and I think QPR won that year, and they got relegated like straight
0: away. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about teams in the championship going up to the Premier League. One thing I would look at in terms of the defensive side from a more Chelsea perspective would be Frank Lampard's Derby County last season. I think there were definitely weaknesses in the the way he approached games where they were quite vulnerable to the counter-attack, but they didn't concede an exorbitant amount of goals because the strikers in the Championship aren't as clinical as the ones in the Premier League. And I think if your defence isn't watertight, you're definitely found out more in the Premier League rather than the Championship.
1: That that's what exactly yeah what Jules as well uh, I agree with is that Sheffield just have a better backline, they're more rigid, they're more solid, they kind of they're more disciplined, they know what they're doing there, and the way obviously with the overlapping centre backs, and the way that people cover their positions when they go up is that, they don't seem to be that vulnerable sometimes when they even the centre backs go up to attack.
0: Yeah, I think definitely. So I think that just about does it for our show this evening. However, before we sign off, I'll quickly say that if you tune into next week's show, we're going to have some very exciting news about our Christmas podcast schedule that will mean you don't have to go without your weekly fix of goal allowed, goals allowed during the holiday season and even beyond that. So as ever, you can... Jules, can I just say something
2: too. Make sure that you go out and vote if you're eligible to
0: vote next Thursday. Use your democratic right to vote. And that's definitely... Uh, probably more worthwhile than what I just said so definitely (laughs) be sure to do that so as ever you can find us on Spotify and other podcast streaming services by just searching Goals Allowed you can find me on Twitter at Jake Sandy FC you can find Danny Danny Hodges too you can find Jules Jules sing underscore thank you so much for listening and it's goodbye from me goodbye from Danny goodbye goodbye from Jules goodbye and we'll see you back here live on Burn FM next Thursday evening at 9 for the last Goals Allowed football show of the season